0: You're about to join Jerry Parker, Marit Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent, yet often overlooked, investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor podcast series.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Systematic Investor series, where each week we discuss and debate what's going on in the world of rule-based investing right now. My name is Niels Larsen, and I am excited to welcome my co-host Jerry Parker and Moritz Siebert. Good morning guys, how are you? Great,
2: great, great. good morning.
1: Great, great, great. Well it is Sunday today so it's a relaxing uh, relaxing start to the or end to the weekend I hope. Um, so interesting week I thought uh, in some ways, uh, some interesting moves in in some of the bigger asset classes i would i would say so um what what was your sort of experience observations uh when you look at your portfolios this uh this week moritz how about you how how's the uh, week been for you
2: it's been a rates driven week right yeah uh above anything else so um uh we've actually uh made some money from uh being short t notes uh us rate uh, us bonds and um and lost a bit on the JGBs and uh, and the bonds and some of the other German bond markets, uh, but but overall a slightly positive week. Um, other than rates, you know, a bit of losses from the equities, but offset partially with gains from some of the energies. Um, pretty normal trend following week, really.
1: Yeah. I agree, I mean we've certainly seen the same the same moves on on our side uh you know uh, fixed income in the u s doing well pretty flattish in europe um energy doing well and uh some of the currencies actually doing doing okay uh and 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 a little bit of profits from being short some of the european equity markets so uh, so yeah so far so good um what did you notice uh, this week from from more of the maybe the the trading side of things, uh, Jerry. Interesting markets breaking out, perhaps. <laughs> I think we, we know which market we're thinking of here.
3: Yes, we've probably got our natural gas breakout
1: That's to right, the upside.
3: Yeah. So that's something different we haven't seen in a while. Uh, maybe it'll keep going. It had a blast off and small little setback. Uh was happy to see the dollar trade looking better. And uh, yeah. a rally there. Most of the markets that we trade, the, <clears throat> some of the currencies are uh, finished near their lows. Um, individual stocks, I don't uh, really trade the indices anywhere, sure. anytime, yeah. any place. The individual stocks, they hung in there. They're not bad. Okay. They're all pretty close to their highs. Uh, and um, you know, the, some of the U.S. interest rates were definitely in a definable downtrend and some had rallied and so the 30 year and the ten year making new lows and some of the European rates looking like they may turn into a downtrend as well. Uh, those yeah. bonds and notes and so yeah. there's some hope there that we'll get that um much uh everyone knows this is the obvious trade. I'm a little skeptical just because of that, but you know I'm gonna go with the trend. So
1: sure, that's good. Sure. sure. And and we're not the only ones going with the trend. I think there was a headline out that there's like the biggest short position in U.S. fixed income futures at the moment ever on, on record. So uh, so clearly, a lot of people, um, you know, trying to at least hedge some of their exposure. And, and I think sometimes people forget, we talk a lot about stocks, but I mean, the bond markets are something like, you know, 10 times or more bigger than than equity markets worldwide so it's it's an important asset class but uh and and it'll be interesting i mean i've been talking a little bit about lately about sort of this correlation between fixed income and and equities and how for the past 10 years since the financial crisis it's been unusual because it's been for the most part something like 87 percent of the time it's been negatively correlated which is great if you're running some kind of risk parity strategy or whatever but if you're looking for protection, then people ought to know that you know if you go out 50 years or 100 years or even 200 years, it's cl- it's a complete reverse. It's 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 about two thirds of the time where they're actually positively correlated. And uh, yeah, I guess I on a on a sort of personal level, I worry a little bit about that. You know, that might not be the what we're going to see in the markets uh, for for a while. Where maybe both fixed income and equities can can run into some some trouble will will time will will certainly tell um anything else you want to add uh i guess there weren't that many sort of trend changes as such not that i not that i noticed uh at least um i anything- tweeted oh, but i had a question yeah go ahead
3: i tweeted uh a rude comment about uh, sugar, the sugar rally and maybe the vol had been going up for a while and I thought hit some key le- uh, levels on the upside and maybe the vol targeting CTAs got in there re- and maybe ran up sugar and coffee this week. But then someone kind of corrected me on Twitter saying it has something to do with uh, the Brazilian elections or something. So um, All right, okay. those two markets had been in long-term downtrends and there was a pretty nice rally in those. T- yeah. So maybe maybe that's over
1: yeah and yeah, no, I did notice the soft generally were were sort of getting a helping hand for 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 a change uh, one thing I meant to ask you uh, Jerry, you mentioned about the single stocks when you look at your universe of single stocks at the moment uh are they predominantly say you trade a hundred different ones I don't even know how many you trade i may are uh, just from a pure number are uh, most of them still are in a long in long trends or or how does that split do you follow that sort of relatively close?
3: I do. I follow it closely. I go through and analyze that once or twice a week. And okay, uh, first of all, we built the portfolio strictly to get as much diversification as possible. As I've mentioned many right. times, two or three stocks from each industry or something like that. And we run it through our software and we have a very diverse portfolio most of the time, of course. And But uh, so it's... It's uh, developed in that particular way, so t- to increase the chances that not everything would be in an uptrend, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, so it's maybe 50%, 40% of the stocks, or you can even say that are kind of in an uptrend, some very much of an uptrend, some uh, not in a downtrend. It's about the best you can say. So, it's really a mixed bag. Not any, it doesn't look anything like uh, half the stocks look nothing like the S&P.
2: Right. May I ask, Jerry, are you
3: trading U.S. stocks only or global? Global, but just a few ADRs. uh, But I really can't tell the difference. Uh, We're just so used to looking at all the different markets individually and separately that um, they're – I also tweeted an article this week about commodities and about how no one looks at commodities and says, you know, what are commodities doing? That's a crazy question because there's so many different ones. They all have different – patterns and i look at the stocks in the same way i try to stay away from the constant drumbeat that the market is doing so and so exactly there is no but on
1: the short side are you able to go short the single stocks or do you have to go short the indices
3: no we short the single stocks um okay
1: yeah Okay. okay cool well i mean um just on sort of a, on on a regular update, uh, sort of from from my trend barometer point of view that I track uh, for for a diversified portfolio, it finished actually a little bit, uh you know above neutral zone uh, this week, and I, I I sense that the industry is off to a a positive start for uh, October after a pretty neutral finish uh, in September. But let's uh, let's jump to some of the other tweets that you've been. Been uh, tweeting this week because I think some of them are also relevant for uh, for sort of the news flow that uh, we've all uh, noticed uh, this week. There's a lot of interesting articles going around, so uh, why don't we jump into um, to your top tweets, uh, Jerry?
3: Well, you know, certainly most of the people who follow me; they're interested in trend following, as am I. So the most popular. Liked tweet this week had to do with um, the Cliff Asness interview, fascinating interview. He's really fun to listen to, really smart, uh, very unique. And um, he has blocked me on Twitter, so uh, maybe I'm making a pitch that he unblocks me. But (laughs) short of that, yeah, I do admire him and like him. And uh, people seem to really be concerned, um, you know, like all of us trend followers, we want it to work. And is it still working? And I get a lot of positive responses whenever I tweet something from someone or from myself that makes people think, yes, trend following still works. It's still fine. And um, so the, he was asked a question about Winton and their emphasizing trend following. And he said, basically, he felt like it was just a response to competitor pressure from people who, tra- mm-hmm. who trade trend following and charge less than he does. And he says, "Blame it on me. I'll be happy to take the blame." And uh, so, people were very happy to hear that that Winton may might not be de-emphasizing trend following because it may not. They don't think it's going to work in the future. It's more of a business situation. Of especially, everyone feels the the need to figure out a way to keep the incentive fee going. And the way the mark the industry has been moving is that if you want to charge an incentive fee, you have to have less trend following
1: yeah what did you make of the article i haven't i have to admit i haven't read it in details i've only seen the headlines more it's what what did you make of it it's it's obviously a big topic uh um that um that that asnes uh touched on this week again
2: it's been a great article i read it uh and like jerry i enjoy the way that that he talks it's uh you know it's it's uh, he speaks in a funny way um As far as the the, the trend following not working or working is concerned, I mean, he he also said that, well, you know, they've reduced, Winton that is, they've reduced the allocation in their uh, larger fund, but they still have a lot of money in trend following. It's not that they're saying it's no longer working, right? Because if they said it's really no longer working, then the allocation should be zero. But that's not the case as far as Winton is concerned. And they've also spun out, um a standalone fund that's tracking their trend system only Um, so yeah i think it it is a business decision um given the uh the fee environment and um just you know the number of products which are out there already that offer good trend following strategies for very competitive flat fees
1: yeah, I mean, I, I know we probably have different opinions on this. I'm not a big fan of flat fees, uh, to be perfectly frank. Um, I don't see any benefit for investors to uh, invest in a flat fee product because there's no incentive for the manager to do well. It's just a matter of size, really. And, and I agree with um, that. Sorry to interrupt.
2: I agree with that yeah. also, and we spoke about that, right? But yeah. we, you and I and, and Jerry, we're not, the say, the average investor out there. I think for many investors that's exactly what they want right they they like it they like it that it's a flat fee usage or 40x type of fund and you know i think it's good that those products exist and they offer an opportunity for people to invest we're not saying and i'm certainly not saying that's the best possibly or certainly the best way to do it
1: yeah no i agree with that i think it is good that they that there is this opportunity uh for for people to do so but I, um, you know, when it comes to this this thing about does trend following still work, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, I do think that maybe simpler versions of trend following work less well or has, it's not to say it won't, they will work less well in the future, but they seem to have worked less well in the last few years. And I think that touches on on another article. It's not really an article, it's an interview that I think we all saw with perhaps the most uh successful investors of 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 our time which is danny Drockenmiller, the former partner of uh of george Soros, who when you see the interview and this is a paid interview so it's not something you can just download and watch but but uh since we all uh subscribe to to uh i think real vision it was where it was and um um, you know, Druckenmiller talks about how he, and I know Jerry tweeted about this as well. He talks about how he develops a thesis, and as the price starts to confirm his thesis, he starts to really pile in, and that to me sounds like trend following. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I got even more curious when I heard that part of the interview, and and what it led to and which may tie in with this thing about, you know, does trend following still work, was that he commented on that for the first time in in, in his career, he saw um, he saw some changes. He saw changes in the way the markets were behaving due to algos. And I don't mean algos like trend following, which is really just simple rules. I mean other kinds of algos. And I think that's what he was referring to, whereby... These algos are designed that when the market moves a certain number of standard deviation away from its mean, they come in and they, they, they do the opposite. Essentially, they try to, to bring the price back to its mean. And clearly, if that's the case, and if indeed these uh, algos have significant volume behind them, it kind of explains to some extent that the price range of many markets have been compressing. At the same time we know that the volatility has been compressed over the last few years not just in equities where we have seen it very clearly uh you know with the vix trading at exceptionally low levels last year and the beginning of this year um but in in many other markets if you look at volatility in commodities if you look at volatility in, in fixed income it's it's really been going down for for a long time now so i think maybe the the combination of these other types of strategies or algos, combined with and which are probably also why the volatility of the markets are being compressed because they're keeping them in some kind of um, in some kind of range or narrow range. Um, so, so those were the things that I picked up from that interview. I didn't see the full part of it, but um, I thought it was very, very interesting because. It's not something that I've been thinking about because I don't track what generally other algos are doing, but, um, but he clearly does. And he feels that it's impacted his ability to, um, to, to, to deliver the same kind of returns that people know him for. What, what did you make of that uh, conversation?
2: Um, it's been a treat to, uh, to watch him uh, one evening this week, uh, first of all really enjoyed that interview. Um, I think if I remember correctly, what he said is um, the markets don't follow their normal rhythm. I think he he used the word rhythm or something yeah. like that yeah. because of the algos, because of um, people trading factors, smart beta, subsidize all all of that under algos, right? And um, um, yeah, may have a point there. He also said that when asked um, by Carol, by, by he asked, um, do you have any money allocated with a machine? He said, yes, I do, since, I don't know, one or two years, but those guys are under review. Let's see if they're up to something. Um, so he, you know, I, I found that interesting. So he's not, not the just discretionary global macro trader. He's also allocating um, a certain portion of his funds to algorithmic trading.
1: Sure, question. but I also, yeah, no, and, and he did certainly confirm that, I mean, that he was using, quote unquote, you know, technical analysis, you know, which I still, the way he phrased it, thought of uh, as, as being some kind of trend following, you know, rules. I'm not suggesting that that's what it is, but, but it certainly sounded like that. What about you, Jerry? What did you pick up from, from that conversation and in general from these, um, these two, two uh, big topics uh, of the week? Well,
3: make a habit of reading things like this and maybe building up my own kind of understanding of what this person meant, which may not be anything close to what he really meant. But I feel like that it's a lot of the things that you guys have said, I think typically over the years, I just scoff at like, oh, you know, whoever is saying these things, of course, the markets are changing. Of course, it's different. Of course, the rhythm is different. Your, Your problem is you're paying attention to something other than price. Stop doing that. And so this is why trend following is so wonderful, is that no matter what's going on, our our system, our entries and exits, our momentum trend-based way of doing things is going to get us in on the right side. And hopefully we'll stay in, in gear and stay in the trend before it, and we don't get knocked out. And then we stay in long enough and we walk away with some profit. So I, and also I'm sort of fascinated coming from my background and my 30 some years, um, just the human desire and need to have trend plus something else I, I need something to confirm this um the quote that i tweeted was i uh, from Druckenmiller. miller is i build a thesis hopefully that no one else has built i put some positions on when these start to evolve and the momentum starts to change in my favor then i pile into the trade well OK, I, I forget the first part and I just wait to see the momentum change in my favor and I stick with it. You know, I go with the momentum. So, um, I'm fam- you know, my, my brand, my slogan is trend following plus nothing. I'm just always amazed right. that the, the human brain and most smart people, they need something else. Um, and I don't really know if that's adding a lot of value other than maybe it just makes them feel better. And if, you know, maybe if Druckenmiller had, a, had a worked for Richard Dennis, he would feel different. And if I were to work for Soros, I would feel different. So <laughs> it's maybe circumstances, uh, but that, and I think another thing he said, um, I think this is correct, is that he said something that contradicts, I think, what most trend followers said, and what I said last week, is the shorts are not as good as the longs. And I believe he said he made a lot more money on the shorts. yeah. So that was interesting. And then he did talk about bet size and in in a roundabout way, uh, throwing on a big position when he really felt a strong conviction. So maybe that's how you make a lot of money in shorts is uh, we size inverse to the volatility, this approach for every single trade. And he says, oh no, on this one, I really feel like we're at it high and the market's at a really overvalued and the trend is sort of going with me. So I'll really slam it on. It's, it's really way too much discretion for me.
1: Yeah. Now well, that's interesting and actually speaking about since we often refer back to uh, AQR and their content and they do produce a lot of great content I did uh, hear their latest uh, podcast episode which was actually the debate about systematic versus discretionary trading and I th- I thought that was a fascinating uh, conversation and 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 I think that the key takeaways were really to to a large extent was really how and i think they had the founder of maverick one of the largest hedge funds uh, on the show as well and he basically said you know my analyst they may only have two or three positions they only follow two or three companies they they need to get to know them you know better than the ceo and so on and so forth and and of course aqr comes in and say well you know we do the complete opposite i mean we we diversify as much as we possibly can um and 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 but what the what what was interesting about it they had done some kind of large study on performance and and this I think will surprise people so their conclusion was that both type of strategies if you look at a large universe of discretionary managers and systematic managers to a large extent over different time frames the performance was not that different but what people may be surprised about to know is that the systematic guys had much less risk and i thought that was interesting because i think a lot of people believe that when you have a human person doing it in the background that there should be less risk on that side and systems are you know can you know will end up being much more risky but in fact the conclusion was the complete opposite so smaller same return but the systematic guys did it with less risk and therefore i guess you could say that the risk adjusted returns were higher And so I thought that was interesting.
3: Yeah, the systems. very um, interesting. Are objective. They're rule based, and it's really the only way to uh, get into your portfolio. Lots of diversification, lots of currencies, commodities, stocks, bonds, long and short. So, without the systematic approach, it's difficult to. You know, diversification is so powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Coming
2: back to Mark Miller, I mean, the fact that he's doing or he's done 120 calendar quarters, five of them being down, right? So it's 114 up quarters. And so he's been going through all those markets. So certainly he's got a feel for risk. You know, he's doing it in a discretionary way. But, you know, when you listen to uh, to this interview again, you know, he strikes me as this, like he's he's taking in a ton of information listening intensely focusing intensely wants to understand and learn all those things and you know when when he then says okay i'm i'm building up those small positions so you know throwing arrows at the wall seeing what sticks and then only if it you know shows the the conviction and that that follow through then i then i'm going to pile into the trade and then again with respect to risk he also said if i remember that correctly those really big trades, he's only doing in markets which are like super liquid, bonds, currencies, right? So that he has at least the opportunity and a chance to to get out, right, and get out quick if um, if he's proven incorrect.
1: Yes, and he did say as well, and 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 maybe that's an, you know an interesting uh, observation with regards to the point that he mentioned that he had made more money in the down years but he also said that most of what their really big trades were in currencies yeah. It was not really equities per se and and but what you said moritz is i mean but that's what we that's what we preach in trend, trend following right yeah, i mean I as our agree. as our system yeah mm-hmm. as our system systems gets more convinced and the and, and the and the uh, conviction level builds up with the signal strength we add to that position up to a certain level and and, and he's just doing it in a different way but the principle is the same and, and, and i agree so you
2: know we we do it in a systematic way and i also um i think uh, jerry i just remember that this week you tweeted uh, also an article which i found was real funny saying um if done properly properly then asset management is a 24-7 type of job <laughs> well I, I don't know it definitely isn't 24-7 for me um, and, and that's one of the beauties of of that systematic approach, right? Just follow the price. I mean if our systems, you know, I don't want to say become convinced, say you know they, they take on more trades, they also would pile into trades right. at, at least you know on uh, my side, that would happen uh, and increase the position size, right and, and it's just all done automatically. There's no 24 uh, 7 to that
3: at all. Yeah, right. and the more you, you know, uh, yeah, and I think there's many, lots of evidence that the more you try, the harder you work. If it's discretionary, you're not going to be nearly as good as a rules based approach. And that's kind of the issue there. Uh, I'd like to reward you for all your hard work and sweat and your twenty four seven and never seeing your children, but actually, the truth of the matter is, you would do a lot better if you worked less and just followed some rules. Hmm.
1: I was listening, uh, so I'm in Orlando this week, and I was listening uh, to uh, a podcast, um, you know, on on the way over here, and it was about thought reversals and how you deal with these things, and it's really about busting myth. And the example they used uh, was really this thing about, well, you know, a lot of people believe that the harder you work, the more successful you'll be. But... But the truth is that if you just ask the question is does that mean that everybody that works hard becomes successful and of course clearly the answer is no (laughs) so so uh so i agree with that uh moritz that you know this doesn't have to be a 24 7 you know uh you know work um situation in order to be successful in uh, with your investments And, and 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 going on from there and this whole and I, I heard another great interview uh this week um with with, with tony robbins who who obviously had been interviewing uh some of the most successful uh investors in the world um, when writing his uh, latest books and um and it's very clear that uh, you know a lot of their strategies uh, their success was based on true diversification true diversification over asset classes and within asset classes and when you do that, it, it actually takes, I think, less time to have a successful or run up a successful portfolio than if you want to, you know, get every single tick out of just trading the S&P. That's, that's definitely a 24-7 or 24-5, uh, you know, work situation unless you are fully autom- automated. So, so sometimes it's, it's not intuitive that you can become very successful also as an investor and actually don't have to spend that much time on your portfolio as a whole. So, interesting. Now, it wasn't always it wasn't all good, I think in the press this week. <laughs> I I think there was another article you tweeted about which I didn't read either, which something to do with the 200-day moving average. Can you uh can you uh, pick that up, uh, Jerry, and and uh, what was that all about? Yeah, it was an article
3: in the barons and mm-hmm. the title of the article was the 200-day moving average doesn't uh, no longer works, a market timing tool that no longer works. I've often wondered, I've been a little uh, unsure what is market timing. And then because uh, one guy will write an article on Monday that market timing doesn't work. And then on Friday, he's extolling the virtues of trend following. So, I, okay, so it's not the same thing. So I think this article really helped me focus on what do these people mean by market timing. And I think what they mean is um, an indicator that tells you now's the time to get out. It's not a system. A system has an entry. Mm-hmm. A system has an exit. Uh, the, one of the complaints about this uh, 200-day moving average, you know, is 200 days, is that long-term enough? Is it? Should it be 300? Should it be 100? That wasn't really... Delved into didn't seem to be a lot of interest on getting to the bottom of anything except to say this sort of indicator business doesn't look like it's worth anything. Um, And he pointed out the four or five times the last four or five times there that was really the bottom of the market of the S and P, and the S and P rallied off of off of that. So, um, and I guess implicit in that is that an indicator would have to have a 50% or 70 or 80 or 90% uh, success rate. So anything less than uh, And of course, we know as trend followers that we're perfectly fine with a 40% success sure. rate. And so the whole systematic approach with an entry and exit, a stop loss, is much different from uh, an indicator approach, which I think is somewhat worthless. They will also throw out, um, when this indicator is tripped, what happens to the market three months later, six months later, nine months later? And we're going, what are mm. you talking about? Uh, where's your exit? You know, we, that was a maybe a sell signal. That, where did you get out? And it's just two different ways of looking at the markets, both seemingly to be s- similar and maybe technical in nature or moving average in nature, but it's really different. And the, the disappointing thing about the article was there was no attempt to educate or get to the bottom of the benefits of uh, using moving averages, and, and in fact, uh, one of the quotes in the article was, um, "This is not enough data to say that this doesn't work any longer, or moving averages doesn't don't work any longer." So it was really confusing and not an uh, addition to the body, you know, the education of the average person who reads Barrons. It was really disappointing.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Did you read the article, Moritz? Um, I, I didn't. I have to say. Yeah right uh very briefly though i mean it, you know we've
2: touched on that before it comes up all the time the s&p 500 and a 200 a day moving average and then uh, jumping to conclusions and and calling that a system whereas you know i, I don't i don't think that's a system at all That's just you know one indicator applied to one market um and i find it very difficult to infer Anything from that, really, because uh, even if you do, like you, you have those 200-day moving averages, you apply to the SP 500 for the past 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, how many trades does that, how many signals does that really produce, right? And, and you know, you end up with still a relatively small sample size that is noisy and volatile and um, doesn't allow you to, to actually derive a system from that because you're, you know, there's really nothing to, to build it on. Um mm. and, and, and yet it comes of all the time, this one indicator, this one market only, and uh and then people say it's it's working or it's not working, whereas it it's completely besides the point, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean it seems very naive um to to even suggest that, but I under, I think I understand uh wh- where it's coming from, and I think unfortunately this is what a lot of maybe the the private individuals are being exposed to through people who are offering you know software or systems or books or whatever <clears throat> excuse me that is meant to solve their problem and make them better investors uh, overnight by by following some some relatively simple rules i mean if i, if I just look at what on our side and i'm sure it's the same on your side i mean we have hundreds of combinations of parameter sets that we can choose from um, and, and so, you know, just looking at one, <laughs> one indicator, as you say, uh, is, is, is not very, uh, not very helpful. Can um, you also let me
2: say that I think I, uh, I emailed with, with Jerry and said, I said, I haven't checked, but I wouldn't be surprised if that same indicator, that 200 day moving average, if you applied that to say 150 markets, right. Right. With yeah. vol-based position sizing, can like make a system out of it? I wouldn't be surprised if that looked good. Sure, I don't know. Sure. I haven't checked, but um no, no, right. So, so sure. just looking at the S and P five hundred because everyone's looking at that one market um, has nothing to do with trading a diversified portfolio in a systematic way.
1: No, and we know that even even trend following systems, if you just trade one market like the S and P, it may not be successful for years. I mean. Right you know i don't think we made a lot of money in inequities prior to twenty seventeen for 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 quite a while uh so you know um uh, yeah let's jump to just to see if there's any questions we 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 can uh, quickly answer this week i um i've got uh, on my side um got a couple of questions um there is one uh, one from uh and and i hope i pronounced it correct but mohit um and um, it's about moving averages uh, strategies and maybe Maybe we want to do that next week. Uh, it's a little bit more expanded question and it is uh, focused on many different things. Um, and, and maybe I should just say, Moit, that none of us actually trade moving average systems, but we will try and attempt to to answer that for you next week. So we do appreciate the question. But I did get a shorter question from, from Barry. And uh, this is actually a specific question for you, Jerry. Um, and it's pretty straightforward. Uh, and that is um, do you utilize synthetic instruments uh, to um, and to what ends uh, and are there any criteria and goals for assembling the instruments/ breads etc so a question from Barry uh, to to um, to you Jerry on that I have looked
3: into uh, these uh synthetic spreads, crosses. Um, I'm intrigued by these. I think that it's uh, worthwhile to look into that and maybe trade in a selective basis. I believe that um, my initial idea was just to say, hey, wait a second. If um, sterling yen and euro-swiss, if they can be a trade, what about uh, euro-gold or gold-euro or silver gold, a spread or a synthetic or whatever in these relationships, will they trend? Uh, and, of course, the goal always is the same, diversification. If I trade gold right. and I trade silver and I trade the gold-silver spread, what sort of diversification is this adding to the portfolio? Because I'm going to use the exact same system, same entry, same exit on all the markets, on the spread, on the synthetic, whatever you want label to label it, um, and so how is this helping my diversification?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got two thoughts on that. Uh, one is I would say to uh, to Barry, you might want to listen to the episode or the interview I did uh, with TransTrend, uh, Harold DeBoer, they trade synthetics, um, but he also commented on that they might probably, or they are or, or doing less of that now. Um, so you might want to listen to that episode. It's one of the more recent ones uh, from this spring. Um, so they have some experience in, in that. Uh, and incidentally, it's quite interesting. You mentioned this synthetic, if you combine other things. I mean, I was just picking up uh, uh, this this uh, weekend. I noticed that, uh, for example, oil, oil measured in Rimmbi, is up 47% this year alone, since February. 47%. So, so there are trends when you start combining some of these things, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, another thing I picked up, which is completely unrelated to what we talked about before, but in terms of trends, I mean, people say, okay, markets are not trending, but this week, I think, uh, oil hit, uh, you know, tripled since the low in February 2016. Um, so, clearly, markets uh, do move, uh, regardless of what people might uh, say. Um, anything on your side, uh, Moritz? You wanted to to add on that?
2: No, nothing to add really. Okay. Nope. Okay.
1: Yeah, as usual, I just want to quickly give uh, our listeners a a, um, a quick update on the industry as a whole. Uh, and as you may remember, we can only see the data as of Thursday evening, since uh, we are recording this over a weekend. But but we are off to a a, a good start for the industry in uh, October. Uh, the b top 50 index is up 0.72 still down 1.93 for the year the stock gen cta index is up uh, just shy of a percent down two and a half for the year the trend index uh, which is more uh, closely to our hearts is up 1.19 for the month and down two percent for the year And the short-term traders index is up 0.64 for the month and up 1% for the year. And finally, the flat fee index bridge alternatives is up a percent, 1.06 to be precise, down 4.76 for the year. Anything else, guys, that uh, we should debate, discuss uh, this week? Anything that you want to bring up? Well, I had one more uh,
3: interest. Interesting, I thought. Interesting yeah. set of tweets that sort of ties in right. with Druckenmiller, or at least my take on the what I thought was interesting about the Druckenmiller, and which is once again the trend following plus other things. Um, this desire to have the fundamentals maybe line up or have something else to go with the trend. And AQR did a study. I tweeted it at least three times, pretty much saying the same thing. And it is basically they did a 91 year study that said that markets tended to go up when prices were very high, meaning that investors who attempted to time the market based upon market valuations could have missed out on a great deal of return over the long term. So a couple other tweets saying the same thing, basically. Um, please do not look at anything other than trend. Uh, if you do, if you allow other fundamentals, valuations, and risk or whatever in the markets, um, old value, old methods of measuring whether you should be long or short stocks or out of stocks, you will miss profit uh, as it compared to just following the trends. So I thought that was a very interesting and certainly something I agree with wholeheartedly. So I wanted to tweet it, and I nonetheless am amazed at how successful uh, Soros, and Miller, and all those guys are. And it's really fun to try to figure out from our worldview, which is strictly trend and momentum and numbers and prices, um, how, they, you know, how they did so well, hoping that maybe part of what made them successful is what we think really works in the market.
1: Yeah, no, it certainly sounds like it wasn't just pure seat of the pants trading. When when I listened to Draken Miller, there seemed to be a little bit of a hidden trend follower in him as well. So so maybe it's uh, maybe it's not all uh, all bad. I think that's very interesting. And I also noticed that they, that there is another study that I'm going to be catching up on uh, this week uh, again from the same source. Seems to be like we're quoting them all the time, which is which is great. They do produce a lot of good uh, uh, content. So that's to do with the drawdowns downs over 100 years or something like that that they they posted also um and so uh, yeah well i mean if if there's nothing else let's wrap up uh, this week's conversation we we hope you enjoyed it just as much as we enjoy making them for you and if you felt you got something out of it please share these episodes and and do leave a rating and review in itunes they really do uh, help us uh, from jerry moritz and me thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you next week